The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. It's kinky done differently. what women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun conversation about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy. With questions asked by a guy. And now, here is your host. Hi there, Catsuit. Hi there, Nookie, and welcome to a bonus edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, a show about how people connect. I'm your host, John, also known as Hi There, Catsuit, and I start this program with a question. Have you ever wished that a therapist could understand your needs and wants when it comes to your relationship? One that would allow you to understand that you're normal no matter what others might say? We found one, and today you'll meet her too. Sarah Rosen is a sex therapist who practices at the Long Island Institute of Sex Therapy, and she is a licensed social worker with an M.Ed. in Human Sexuality from Widener University. Sarah specializes in working with individuals and couples in kinky and non-traditional relationship dynamics. Sarah helps people to conquer sexual shame and become their best confident and kinky selves. In addition to being a sex therapist, Sarah is the lead curator and director of sales at That Drawer, an erotic boutique and gender expression shop run solely by sex therapists. It's the first five. And as always, we start with the first five. Five questions about first for Sarah Rosen, the kink therapist. First time you knew you wanted to be a therapist. Oh, so I, this is a really good question. I always, I have always known that I specifically wanted to be a sex therapist. And that happened because I started working at this upscale erotic boutique in Manhattan when I was 18. And I mostly did that because I wanted to be a rebellious teenager. And I was like, screw you guys. I sell dildos, mom. And uh, it wound and I just fell in love with it. And I found that clients came into the store for really, really important reasons, like women who had been sexually assaulted, who were, um, you know, reacquainting themselves with their sexuality, people who were going through chemo, who needed different kinds of additions to their sex lives, people who just wanted to try new things. Um, and I met a lot of people who were sent to sex stores by their sex therapists. Mm. And I just found that I loved sitting down with people and hearing about what do you like? What don't you like? And hearing people say, well, I'm weird. Uh, there's something wrong with me. And I'm like, no, we could match you up with this toy. And I would bring out the diagram of, okay, this is where your clitoris is. And these are the toys you could use to to reach your G-spot and I just do like, okay, this is what I was meant to do. I just want to talk about sex all day forever. <laughs> and so I went to University of Delaware and I studied uh, gender and human sexuality and everyone was like, what the heck are you going to do with that? I'm like, just watch. And then I got uh, my clinical master's at University of Widener. So now I'm officially a sex therapist, living the dream. First time you ever realized you were kinky. 
Oh man, I've always known. I think that uh, <laughs> I was thinking about this as I was listening to your other podcast episodes. And I, I, I have this distinct memory of like being in the high school cafeteria with my friends and sitting down and saying like, guys, did you realize that there are two ways you can have orgasms? And my friends all just looked at me horrified. Like, how, like why would you talk about that? And I thought like, wow, there, there's something different about me, I think. <laughs> and it's just escalated from there. First time you ever had a patient say, you have changed my life for the better and your reaction to it. Mm. Uh, one of my first jobs when I was in school, I worked, uh, well, I had an internship, a social work internship at the University of, sorry, at Virginia Tech. I worked in their counseling center mm -hmm. and I worked with a lot of trans kids and mm. we were in this very, very conservative area. So a lot of times I was the first person that they were meeting where they were able to talk about that their life in this very authentic way. Um, so I, oh, I had so many fantastic patients and clients there. And that was the first time I really heard people telling me that I had made a difference in their life. And it, it just felt amazing. And it was really, really great to see these people just become comfortable with themselves. First time you ever went to a play party and what was your role? Uh, the first time I ever went to a play party, I was a spectator. I was working on my master's in human sexuality at Widener and they suggested that we all attend a play party and to learn about the kink scene. Um, so I, I fell in love. I was like, this just makes sense. And like, this is so therapeutic too. And you've listened to many of our episodes, you told me, so you know what question is coming next. First time you ever received a dick pic and your reaction to it. So I was very lucky that my first dick pic was consensual. Can you believe hmm, that? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And it was my uh, high school boyfriend at the time. And trust me, I've received many, many unsolicited dick pics since, and I do not like them. <laughs> But my first was consensual, so that was nice. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. And hi, all the listeners out there. I actually have no idea what these questions are, so you're going to be coming along the ride right along with me. There's only one, Midori, March 9th on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. You are the kink therapist. I must imagine that people have an absolute feeling of relief knowing that a kink therapist exists. Yes, yes. And I see it in the first session when someone comes in and tells me, I like this thing, there's something wrong with me, I'm, I'm never going to find love. And just the first time you hear someone say, there's nothing wrong with you. What you like is cool. Actually, it's kind of vanilla, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's very, it's very healing for people 
So I, yes, I, I love, love, love what I do. And it is the best feeling in the world when you see your client take a sigh of relief and they acknowledge that, okay, I'm, I'm okay. So you must deal with so much shame. Oh, so, so, so much, so much. How is it that you help your clients deal with that? What are some of the things, your go-to mechanisms to deal with shame? Mm -hmm. Well, I do a comprehensive sexual history assessment. So I want to understand how did you learn about sex? How did you learn about your body? What were all of your first sexual experiences? Like I really, really get to know everything about my client because to undo all of these ideas about shame, I want to learn where they came from. So a, a lot of times it's just um, unlearning the conservative messages they got from their parents. I can totally understand that. Yes. What is the biggest misconception about being a sex therapist? Oh boy, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, the Probably the biggest misconception is that there's any kind of uh, physical assistance. There, There's no touch in clinical sex therapy. It's all talk therapy. Take us through a typical session. I don't know if there is a typical session. That may be a very bad way of putting it. But let's say somebody is coming in for the first time. You've gone over their sexual history. What uh -huh. could they expect? Uh huh. Uh, so we're going to talk about what their goals are in therapy. Now, do they want to find a partner who's into what they are? Do they have they found that their partner doesn't like what they like? Are we talking about opening up the relationship? Are we talking about like what does consent look like in your relationship? Are you allowed to talk to other people? Can we? like explore porn, what is going to work for you? So it, it's, it's, it's individually tailored for every client. Um, but I, I help clients to connect to their communities, communities that they did not know existed. When it comes to therapy and kink, there are some therapists that are kink friendly. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. was lucky enough to have one in Cleveland oh, thank who said to me, explore this. This is fun. You have fun. And every time you talk about it, your eyes light up. Yeah. Don't feel bad about it. Why do <sighs> you suppose there aren't more of those? Honestly, I think that therapists that are, that have a hard time talking about sexuality in session probably have, they probably struggle with sexuality in their own lives. I, I do find that if you're comfortable with it, you can talk about it. Um, but I mean, sexual shame, it's its so wide reaching. We all feel it. Uh, many therapists are not immune to this. So uh, I guess it goes with life experiences. Without violating HIPAA or anything like that, do you have a general story you can tell us about the biggest difference in somebody's life between when they walked in and the time you said, I think you're ready. Yes. Yes. I have someone I've been working with for a while. Um, they, they came in and they felt like that, like I'm hopeless. I'm never going to be able to reach my community. Um, I'm never going to find someone who likes what I like. And we did so, so much deep exploration. And now they tell me about all the play parties they go to and all the crazy things they do. And they talk about it with such confidence. And it's just like, it just makes my heart happy. 
I've talked about this on the show, and you've probably heard the story of how I started my fetish, mm-hmm. which was my parents never gave me the talk. Mm-hmm. Is that a common theme with people who don't understand their sexuality? Oh my gosh, no one gets the talk. I don't get it. So many people get their sex ed from school, which is not very comprehensive, or from porn. So I, I no wonder we're all so clueless about our sexualities. I, Yeah, parents, you got to have the talk. There are so many fantastic books out there that you can read with your kids. I mean, there are books for babies about understanding gender, understanding your bodies. I mean, everything is out there. You talked about understanding gender and bodies. Yes, for babies. Indeed. Yes. I grew up back in 1970, back in the 70s. No one had ever heard of Mm -hmm. non-binary. At that time, it was transsexual as opposed to transgender. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Homosexuality was still considered deviant. And yet we have had this amazing evolution to where we are now. Yeah. Where we are accepting, but we still have a way to go to embracing. Mm Mm-hmm. How much of your work has to do with gender issues and people's Mm -hmm, mm self-identification? I do a lot of work with gender issues, and I actually work with a lot of parents who are trying to figure out their kids' gender issues. And that's something I'm seeing a lot more lately of parents who are like, okay, my kid is expressing feelings around gender. I want to handle this the right way so they don't spend a ton of money on sex therapy when they grow up. They don't say that, but that's what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I find that parents are, they don't they don't know. And how are you supposed to know? They're, right? Um, so parents are trying to navigate, navigate that in a way that's going to be helpful for their child. And they're admitting that they they don't, they don't know how to work that way. Am I doing the right thing? That's what they want to know. And that's a very deep question. That's yes. very open-ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fact that you, you see parents who are even willing to take that step right now, it's incredible. It's incredible. I've worked with so many kids where, you know, their, their parents kicked them out when they came out as like non-binary or whatnot. And I was about to ask that, obviously, you have the converse of it, of the people who come to you, I'm not going to use the word broken, but very confused or very uh, unable to understand the world as it is. How difficult is it to work with clients like that, who must be very shy to talk about it because they may have been shamed about it so much? Right, right. So with some clients, the first few sessions, you don't talk about anything having to do with sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe I'm going to get to know about their friends, about their family, about what they do for work, about where they went to school. And that's okay. If we even need to spend a few months talking about other things before we even broach the topic of of sex, that's fine. So for, for clients coming from, you know, those types of experiences, they... They just really need to earn, I need to earn their trust Mm -hmm. and it just takes more work, but it's doable. And I've definitely seen a lot of great success with people who, who came in feeling just totally confused and out of touch with their, their bodies and their surroundings. 
I'd like to do something kind of fun here. Okay. I'm not looking for th free therapy, but I'm just looking for the ability to kind of see how your mindset works. Sure. Okay. So I have a second skin fetish, whether it be spandex or latex. Mm -hmm. I am very much into touch and sensation. Mm. I do identify sometimes as female within a scene, but I have no body dysmorphia. Okay. Meaning I don't believe I should be a female, but I get into the female mindset. Mm -hmm. What are some of the questions that you would ask me to try to explore that a little more? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I want to know about how it impacts your quality of life. When you get uh, to be in those situations. I had to hide it for many years, especially yeah. during my marriage of 20 years. Because I was shamed oh. for it. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. The one time she saw me in a cat suit, she goes, that's strange. That's weird. Get, get out of it. No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> and so this fetish that had been born before I knew what sex was mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now was something that I had to suppress for many years. And when I went into 10 years with no intimacy, yeah, I turned back to it and had to hide a lot of things. But that's why now that I'm able to express it, now that more people know me by the name Catsuit than they do by John. I love that. It's pretty amazing how I've been able to evolve. Yeah. Yeah. But I do have this resentment for the 50 plus years that I didn't think it was normal. Yeah. Can you tell me about what does it feel like for you when you're in your cat suit? The sensations are always there in every single part of my body. Yeah. There is nothing that isn't being touched. So at any one time, I can think of the inside of my right ankle and it's being touched or the crux of my elbow. And there is a sensation there of something hugging it. Yeah. Across my chest, if I am wearing fake breasts, which I sometimes do, I feel this sensuality and this wanting to be desired moment there, which is why I will do that for the particular look. Mm -hmm. Even going a little bit further, when I wear a leotards and tights combination, the line of the what separates the trunk of the body with the legs, that line has this part sensation, part bondage element to it mm -hmm. because when mm -hmm. you're wearing a leotard you can't really slip it off it's mm -hmm. there it's stuck yes and it's holding everything and i think that all of that sensation together plus the compression and the hugging because i've been known to put on a cat suit or leotards and tights to make me feel better that's what I get out of it as far as actually wearing the outfit. I was just going to say the way that you describe that, it just sounds so comfy and secure and really hot. 
and it feels very safe. Yes, yes. So I think that some of the work that maybe could be helpful for you to do in therapy would be to give yourself space to to grieve for the loss of the lifestyle you wish that you had Mm -hmm. while also making up for that last time as you go. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad we went through that. And uh, I yes. hope that as fun as I did. Yes. Yes. I'm like so happy that you were able to find yourself and come out. Um, I have so many more questions for you about your marriage, but maybe, you know, another time, <laughs> another time. <laughs> That's an issue I see in a lot of marriages. Um, so many couples, they don't talk about sex. They don't talk about sex while they're not having sex. And Mm -hmm. you can't negotiate what you like and what you don't like while someone's inside of you. Like it just, I mean, you you can, but it can't be the only time. It can't be the only time. So I've worked with so many couples that they had no idea that their partner masturbates. And I'm like, wow, that's to, wow, to not feel comfortable talking about that with your partner, it it makes me sad, right? Because masturbation is such a beautiful thing. And whether you have a ton of sex, like you should be having solo sex. It's such like self-care, self-love. Mm-hmm. It's just this beautiful connection you have with yourself. So to feel like that's something you need to hide from your partner, the person that you're supposed to be closest to in this world, it's it makes me really sad. So you have partners that they don't talk about sex. They don't talk about masturbation. They don't talk about their fantasies. And it's really, it's still surprising to me every time I hear it. It's still surprising. So when you have the difference between extrovert and introvert, Mm -hmm. creative and Mm non-imaginative, how do you bridge that gap? Because I know that in my marriage, Mm -hmm. I was very creative. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wanted to try different things. But sadly, when we played Never Have I Ever in a Zoom chat with a bunch of kink friends from off the cuffs, mm-hmm. I was the one that said, never have I ever had sex in a different position other than me on top or her on top. That's mm-hmm. it. <laughs> That's not the case anymore, though. Maybe. I have not done that yet because I haven't had a sexual partner within kink. Okay, we'll get there. And, and for me, there is kink sex, and then there's kink for getting into the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm addicted to a lot mm-hmm. of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that Okay, but that's a really exciting problem to have. And I say all this because you're going to have so much fun the, figuring that stuff out. Like the rest of the work is so fun. Mm-hmm. You talked about having solo sex. Mm-hmm. As we record this, which is in January, it will air in February. Mm-hmm. We are in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are by themselves, myself included, who will try to do self-play. Mm-hmm. And sexually, it may be, okay, that worked. Uh-huh. But at the end, there's always this tinge of a feeling of, but nobody else was there. Uh, and I really, really miss that. Yeah. I need that. And so it goes from rather being something that's pleasurable to something. Uh-huh. That, oh, God. Uh, well, that happened. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate orgasms followed by sadness. Those are the worst. 
those are the worst. So there are so many ways that you still can connect with people though. And I'm very, very into the sex tech right now. I think that we have to be for mm -hmm. like people like you and I that are very much extroverts that like we, we can't be out in the world right now. Um, I am getting really into VR and VR porn and VR sex. And so I'm interviewing a few uh, VR porn stars in the next coming weeks. So I can learn a little bit more about how we can utilize VR with sex therapy. And hear me out here. I know some people are like not ready to start having sex at robots, but I am because <laughs> you can like, okay, so you could put your headset on. They have all these toys that pair with the headsets. I mean, if you want to go to an orgy on the moon in Rome, like you can do that and you can be re real people there. Interesting. So there are ways to have these social needs needs met in more creative ways. As this show is called What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, mm -hmm. would women be as much into that or even more so than men? Men are usually visual, women are cerebral, and I realize that might be a stereotype, and I apologize in advance, so please hold your letters. <laughs> How does that work, and is there a difference between the sexes when it comes to that? Well, yeah, right now there definitely is because I'm I'm having a much harder time finding toys for women that pair with the headset. There's so many stuff out there for men. And I think that as VR becomes bigger and a safer way to be sexual, I, I think that it will open itself up more to women. I think that you're starting to see some of the feminist porn creators tapping into the VR world. So I think that is coming. And you have a lot of companies like Laura DiCarlo, my favorite, favorite sex toys in the world right now. Um, I mean, she's making some really high tech stuff. Like she doesn't call her her toys vibrators. She calls them all robots, which I love. So I, we're headed in that direction. It's going to be more mainstream for women. Is that going to take away from personal connection? Mm. Hmm. I mean... <sighs> If we were living in a normal world, maybe, but mm -hmm. right now, I think it's a great way to increase personal connection and to do it safely. I do see that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not for everyone. I can understand that as well. Yeah. I yeah. have to ask you because you are the kink therapist. What kinks do you enjoy? Well, you know what? I... So I have to respect the fact that my husband is much more of a private person than I am. Okay. Um, so I, I will leave it at this. You can imagine as a sex therapist, as a kink sex therapist, I'm not the most vanilla person in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll leave it at that. Fair enough. <laughs> and, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate you're in a relationship where you can explore that. That's a wonderful thing. Oh, my poor husband. I so he's he's a uh, much more conservative and and shyer than I am. I embarrass him all the time. Poor man. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hello, I'm Jesse Sage from Peep Show Media. Peep Show Media is a multimedia magazine bringing news and stories from the sex industry. Be sure to check out our website at peepshowmedia.com for essays, porn reviews, events, interviews, news stories, and more. Also, make sure to listen to our podcast, The Peep Show Podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. And for a bit more of a personal glance into my life, make sure to check out my January 15th interview on what women and other wonderful humans want. Hi, this is Jane Boone, the author of the novel Edge Play. It's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets Fifty Shades of Grey. Only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit. You can find it at Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle. And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you. You are listening to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Here again, we say to our host, hi there, Catsuit. We talk on this program so much, and I call this show a show about how people connect. What is the biggest thing that you are seeing as far as women telling you, why can't men connect with me on a really intense or personal basis. Why do things seem, at least with the stories that I've heard on this show, Mm -hmm. so shallow? Hmm. I I see this issue with a lot of my couples in that, and to to be gender stereotypical, uh, men who want more sex and women who feel like how come you don't try to be sensual in other ways than I would want to have sex? I see this problem all the time. And I tell guys, like, if you tried less, if you tried to have sex less, you probably would have more sex. So I, I think that guys are just so socialized to believe all these hyper-masculine stereotypes. And maybe I'm going off on a tangent here, but that just makes me think of all the guys I'm seeing lately who are really interested in taking like Viagra or a convenience store, um, boner pills. I'm seeing that a lot now. And there's this disconnect where guys feel like I women want me to last for seven hours and women are like, no, I like my cervix where it is. Um, so we're just not talking about sex enough. We're not talking about what we need enough. So I, I think that guys, like you just got to listen a little bit more. If you were to give a toolkit for things that guys should do in approaching women for connection, what are some of the things that would be in that toolkit? Hmm. Approach women with genuine curiosity about who they are rather than what they can offer to you. Yes, yes. Oh, so if we're specifically talking about online dating, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's so easy in in a profile, someone has five pictures and a little blurb like, oh, oh, I love dogs, your dog's really cute, or like, oh, did you visit this place? It's so easy to make connections with someone. Find something that's non-sexual first and ease into it. It tends to make people feel more comfortable, and you will have more sex if you don't start off with the sex stuff. You were talking about dick pics and the first one you had was consensual and then Mm -hmm. you've gotten a lot of non-consensual dick pics. Why do guys insist on sending them? 
or you that may be the great riddle of the world, but your opinion on that. I think the motive is different for different guys. I do think that there are a lot of men who get off on the discomfort women feel from it, unfortunately. Um, I I can't imagine any other reason. And listen, dicks are beautiful. I love dicks. There are certain dicks that I'm so happy to see. But if you're not one of those authorized penises, I don't want those pictures. So I... I don't know why men that think, or I mean, maybe men feel like, well, if I got a picture of a vag, then I'd be really happy. So women must want that. It just, it doesn't work that way. Oh God, I could have a a museum of all the unsolicited dick pics I have. It's awful. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to go to that museum. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) I have the theory and I've talked about it on the show many times that the way women think and the way men think about certain issues, the men are from Mars and women are from Venus, mm-hmm. that women tend to think big picture and total surroundings while men are very much problem solution based. Hmm. When it comes to sex, men will think about the one or two or three hours in the day where the sex takes place, while I believe women are thinking a lot about the other 21 hours, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that the three hours or however there is for sex, is there time to relax? That's such an interesting question. Now, I work with a lot of parents and I mean, it's whether the mom works full time or not, she's always doing the majority of the housework. That's just how it it always works out that way. So I have these guys that are like, how come my wife is never interested in having sex? And I'm like, it's not that she's not a sexual person, but like having to change all the diapers and cleaning up after you, it's that crazy that that doesn't turn her on. Right. And I have women that are just like, I'm just not a sexual person. And I, I'm like, I let's try to change the narrative because I think that the stories we tell ourselves become true. Mm-hmm. It's okay that you're not horny all the time because you're constantly changing diapers. That doesn't mean you're not a sexual person. So let's talk about the things you do like in bed. And that gets back to the imaginative versus non-imaginative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it can become boring if it's the same thing every time. Yes. Well, novelty is erotic. When you're in a sexual rut, change something, anything, new position, new area of the house, go to hotel, literally anything you change is going to be helpful. But I do think that for women, we're, we're not really encouraged to have sexual fantasies. If you think about how men are exposed to porn usually a lot earlier than women are and it's so okay for men for boys to watch porn and figure out what they like what they don't like um and they get to develop these sexual fantasies that are much more in depth than women ever have the opportunity to so i don't think it's that you know men are more sexual than women i don't think that's the case at all but i think that we need to create more space for women to be sexual Do women have to feel desired in order to feel sexy? I think it depends on the woman. I would assume yes for many people, but not for everyone. Some people have the ignoring fetish. 
right? They don't want to be desired. Interesting. Tell me more about that. Well, like the idea of getting off to to uh, being a sex object hmm. and not being desired as a person, but just like as a toy, just being used consensually. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I do hear about a lot of that, especially in kink. Or like someone's fucking you and like they're reading the newspaper and totally ignoring you. (laughs) It's a thing. Everything's a thing. So since everything is a thing and we live in the world where we don't yuck another's yum. Never, never, ever. Has anybody ever come to you with a fetish or a kink that made you wince? No, I I can't think of it. Um, I've people have come to me with fetishes that I haven't heard about before, and I've been really excited to learn about them. Um, but I'm always really taken aback and and very in awe of how creative some people are with their sexualities. So I, I think it's so cool. Um, I mean, for me, really, I I can hear it all. My only boundary is animal stuff. Hmm. I don't even like to watch animals. I don't like the idea of animals having sex. Everything about that <laughs> bothers me. My my husband's a veterinarian. I don't the animal stuff. Nope. Everything else is cool for for me. That's just that's where I'm at as a therapist. You know. I can totally understand that. You gotta be honest with yourself with your limits. Erotic stories and erotic novels. We've had mm-hmm. a lot of authors on here. Yes. Uh, about that. What is it that makes a good story that can really help somebody find their genuine self? And does it help to write yourself to be able to process those kind of stories? Yes. I love having clients write out their fantasies. I love just seeing that totally unfiltered part of their sexualities because sometimes it's easier to let that out on paper than it is to let it out in the bedroom but it's mm-hmm. a good first step to make that more accessible. I love reading erotica and it's great for people who don't love porn. Um, it's, I mean, it, oh, the, the world of erotica is just so creative. I mean, same thing. Everything's a kink. You can find erotica for everything. <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. Is journaling something that you uh, suggest a lot in your therapy? Uh you know, I, I should be, but I don't because I don't do it myself. <laughs> Fair enough. And if my therapist were to tell me to journal, I'd be like, it's a good idea, but I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not big on homework and, you know, just the just sex stuff, but I'm not big on the writing homework. Not that it's not helpful. I get that. So you apparently grew up in a, in your uh young adult years in a sex shop? Yes. Yes. So like I said earlier, when I was 18, I started working at the sex store and it was life-changing. Um, you know, it's how I realized this is what I want to do forever. This is the world that I want to be in. And it helped to normalize so many parts of sexuality for me and for all of my friends at the time, because I was getting all these free sex toys. I was like, here, you get this, you get this, tell me how you like this. And it totally normalized talking about sex and masturbation with my group of friends, which is not super common for like female friend groups. And it should be ladies talk about masturbation with your friends, normalize it. It's cool. You remind me in your excitement of my 
friend, Mistress Bunny from Toronto, who works in a sex toy store. Mm-hmm. And she's always talking about how much fun it is to see people discover. Do you yes. have a story about somebody who came into your shop and you would have expected it was the last thing you would have expected anybody to pick up and then see their excitement when they do? Um, I there are a lot of times when selling strap-ons. I met a lot of women who are wearing strap-ons for the first time and I would help them get fitted. And once they found something that actually fit for them and made them feel sexy, it was just this beautiful, empowering moment. So I, I did see a lot of that with people or people would come back to the store and tell me like, I had an orgasm and it would be so exciting. <laughs> They're like, I want to have more now. <laughs> So where do you see going from here, Sarah? What is in your journey? You're helping so many people. What is it that you want to be doing as your journey continues? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I say that I'm here to make the world a better place in bed. And I certainly hope to continue to do that. I think that um, my purpose in life is to help people eliminate shame from the bedroom. I know you're in Long Island, but as we have become this amazing place that's connected by Zoom these days, do you have clients that are outside of your area or is that something that is regulated by uh, doctor laws and such? Yeah, so I'm a licensed social worker. I have been seeing clients from different states. It's been really, really cool to meet all these different people. Oh, I just remembered something about the previous question you asked about people that come into the sex store. Mm -hmm. And let me just say, when I was working at this store called Eve's Garden, it was right around the time where Fifty Shades of Grey came out. So people were really getting more into bondage stuff and I remember this couple came in and they're both maybe in their 90s and they came in to buy like paddles and whips for each other and it was the cutest thing I've ever seen it just made me so happy and I'm like I hope that's where I'm at in my 90s like I oh oh if we can all be that free in our 90s what an amazing thing yeah yeah Sarah, tell us how we can get a hold of you if somebody would be interested in talking to you about therapy or the other ways we can follow you and maybe any projects you have coming up that you want the folks to know about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, you can follow along on Instagram. You can find me at the kink therapist. Um, you right now I am accepting new clients. And like I said, I'm seeing clients from all over and you can find me on psychology today. If you look up Sarah Rosen, S-A-R-A-R-O-S-E-N sex therapy, or if you go to our website, longislandsextherapy.com, you can find me and some other fantastic sex therapists there. Something really cool that I'm working on is I'm getting back into the sex toy world, which is how I started. It's my passion. Um, we are starting a store called That Drawer, and it is going to um, it, be alongside the sex therapy practice. And what's so awesome about the store is it's all run by sex therapists. So you can book an appointment to sit down with a sex therapist, talk about what you like, what you don't like, what you're interested in, and we will match you with your perfect toy and we'll walk you through everything. And we work with all these companies that we very much believe in that promote sexual wellness and our body safe materials. We test everything. So <laughs> we, we know our stuff, we know our stuff and not to brag, but I really do um, 
feel like I have developed this sixth sense for matching people with their perfect toys. So I love doing therapy. I love the clinical work, but I'm so excited to be able to do the sex toy stuff again. So if you're in the New York area, um, we'll be opening soon. We're, we're figuring that out. We're going month by month as see how things go as we all get vaccinated. Um, but you can also make an appointment to shop with me online. So if you're not sure about what kind of sex toys you want, come meet with a sex therapist. Let's talk about it. Fantastic. Sarah, this has been an absolute pleasure. And I've really enjoyed getting to know you and having a little therapy along the way. Yes. And I can, uh, I'm looking forward to staying connected with you because you have a lot of great information for our listeners. And I appreciate you sharing it today. Yes, this was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. What a delightful conversation. I can only imagine what a full session with Sarah might be like, but I'm so glad there are people like her around. The world needs more people just like her. Check out our archives from our great shows from people like Dr. Allison Ash, Lindsay Goldwork, Cleo Stiller, and Nookie Notes. And our regular Tuesday show is coming up. It will be swinging personality and best-selling author Corlin Jewell helping me and you understand how to connect in the lifestyle. Two women who define the term. That brings us to a close. This edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. I'm John, or hi there, Katsu, to my kinky friends. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and reminding you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky done differently.